0: So we are preaching through Paul's letter to the Romans, and in the passage that Lynn just read, which we're focusing on this afternoon, Paul's aim in this passage is to help us see the reality of God's wrath, God's anger. He wants us to see that God's wrath, God's anger is real. That's Paul's point in these verses. Now, some of us may may not want to see that God's wrath is real, or we might think it's kind of a negative topic, isn't it? Or isn't that going to leave people feeling insecure or fearful? So I've thought about that, but as I prayed about it this week, I, I think that there's at least three reasons, three benefits that will come to us from taking an afternoon and considering how real God's wrath is. Three reasons I think that Paul had in his mind, especially this first one. This is, I think, his main benefit, the main reason. And that is to think about how real God's wrath is will show us why we need Christ. Crucial. Every human being, every single one of us in this room has sinned against God and faced God's wrath. And we can't be good enough to make up for it. The only solution for the fact that we're standing before a God who we've sinned against and who has wrath against us, the only solution is Jesus Christ, who came, great love, great mercy expressed from God to send Jesus, who was punished on the cross, paying for all the sins of everyone who will put their trust in him. And we see how much we need him when we reflect again. God's wrath is real. That's how much you, how much I need Christ. Another benefit, another reason, is because this can strengthen our trust in Christ. If you're already trusting Christ, to reflect on the reality of God's wrath can strengthen your trust. Because when you think about God's wrath, that can help you take Jesus Christ more seriously. Take this all more seriously. God's wrath is real, and heaven is real, and hell is real. This is where all of us are moving toward, eternity. So am I really trusting Jesus Christ? Are you? Not just that you prayed a prayer 10 years ago, but are you trusting Jesus Christ now? That's what everything depends upon. And that becomes more clear when we think about the fact that God's wrath is real. And then a third benefit. It'll motivate us to tell others about Christ. Won't it? I mean, think, everybody in Abu Dhabi Every single person here who is without Christ is facing God's wrath, punishing them in hell forever. That changes everything. What are we living for? Why are we here? Yes, praise God for the jobs. but We are surrounded by people, many of whom have never heard the gospel. And when we take seriously the reality of God's wrath, it's like, oh, let's... Let's befriend people. Let's reach out, cross cultural bridges. Let's love people, get to know people, care for people, share the gospel with people, share our stories of coming to Christ with people. Let's share the good news so that we can help people come to faith. So these are three reasons why I think Paul focused on God's wrath in these verses. Now look again at what Paul says in verse 18, which we studied two weeks ago. Because this, in many ways, is the theme for this afternoon's passage as well. Verse 18, Romans chapter 1, look at what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, usually when we think about God's wrath, we think that it's going to be revealed at the end of history with the final judgment and casting people into hell forever. And that is true. God's wrath will be revealed even more clearly, powerfully then. But that's not what Paul's talking about in verse 18. Notice he says God's wrath against sin is being revealed now, today. God's wrath is being revealed. Notice also that this revelation of God's wrath, which is being revealed now, it's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Not just against a particular few, specially wicked people, but against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, before you were saved, did you have any ungodliness and unrighteousness in you? I certainly did, to my shame. We all did, which means that this revelation of God's wrath now has involved all of us in this room, so it's important for us to understand what it is. So let's ask the question, how? How is God now revealing his wrath against all sin? How is he doing this? And notice that in the passage Len read for us three times in these verses. Paul says that God gave them up to something. Notice verse 24. He says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then verse 28. God gave them up to a debased mind. So the way that God is now revealing his wrath against humanity's sin is by giving us up to further sin, impurity, wickedness. Think about it like this. In verses 18 to 23, we saw two weeks ago that we've all known enough about God from looking at creation. Remember we talked about creation, the amazing universe we live in, and this beautiful planet Earth that we are here and, and our bodies which are such intricate, have such intricate design and amazing function. We, we know enough about creation to, from, about God from creation to worship God for his glory. What a glorious God you are. To live for the joy of knowing him. We know enough that we should be completely secured in his promises to us. And we should be, as a result, overflowing with love for other people. That's what we should be doing, because we we know enough about God to do that. But every human being, every one of us, has turned from our glorious God, our perfect God, our beautiful God, our creator, and we've all pursued after man-made religions and money, earthly pleasures. We've all turned our back on the creator of everything. No thanks. I'm going to seek my joy in these inferior, puny joys of what's created. We've exchanged the glory of God for a lie. We've all done that verses 18 through 23. And that's sin. That's ungodliness. That's unrighteousness. And God is now revealing his wrath against humanity's sin by giving humanity up to even more sin. Even more sin. God doesn't force anybody to sin. He gives us up to sin. The word that helps me is to think that God lessens his restraint on us and lets let's wickedness grow some. He lessens his hold on us. I mean, we all have sin natures left to ourselves. We would just be plunged into sin and darkness and wickedness. Every one of us. But God has common grace, it's called. He restrains, but he reveals his wrath by lifting that restraint to an extent, and then wickedness boils over even more. That's how he's revealing his wrath to us. So instead of living in the joy and the beauty and the freedom of knowing God, we're living in the brokenness and the dishonor and the shame of even greater sin. That's how God reveals his wrath against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Now, I just need to mention here as a side note, this isn't all that God's doing right now. God's doing more than just revealing his wrath. Aren't we glad? God is saving people from that wrath right now. God is freeing people from that sin right now. Everyone who turns to trust him is set free, come out from under that revelation of God's wrath. So God isn't just revealing wrath, he is saving people. But Paul's point in these verses is to help us understand God right now is revealing his wrath against humanity for their sin, for our sin. And in this passage, Paul says God does that in three ways. Three different ways. Let's look at each of them. First, God gave humanity up to sexual impurity. Verses 24 and 25. Therefore, because we've turned our backs on God and we've exchanged the glory of God for images because of of that horrible sin, therefore God gave them up In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, Paul doesn't say sexual impurity in these verses, but there's two reasons why I think that's what Paul's talking about. One is, He mentions our our bodies, our physical bodies. So whatever this sin is, it's involving our physical bodies. That's one pointer toward what I think Paul's talking about. The other is that this word impurity, if you do a a word study on it in in your computer Bible, you'll find that often Paul links that and has it in the context of sexual sin, immorality, adultery, that sort of thing. So putting those two together, I think what Paul's talking about here is sexual sin, sexual impurity. Now, what does that mean? Let me just give you some background. The Bible teaches that sex is a beautiful gift from God. Gracious, beautiful, clean, wonderful gift from God. God planned it. God designed it. You all know that sex is God's idea, right? The world didn't come up with that. God created us in this amazing way. Planned it, designed it to bring joy and closeness to a married man and woman. That's his design. That's his plan. And there are many scriptures which celebrate the, the pleasure, the wonder, the beauty of sexual relations in marriage between a man and a woman. Many scriptures. God is not embarrassed about sex. The Bible's not embarrassed about sex. That was God's plan. And When sex is pursued in the context of a loving marriage between a man and a woman, it honors our bodies. It joins us together physically and emotionally and relationally in a way that is beautiful and life-giving and wonderful and just makes the relationship thrive. It's an amazing gift that God's given to us. But what have we done? We've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and we've worshipped the creature rather than the creator. And so God, in his wrath, gave humanity over to sexual impurity. He lessened the restraint, so people pursued sexual sin even more. Now, what is sexual sin? Well, sexual sin is any sexual activity That's not between a husband and a wife. That's that's what the Bible says very clearly. Sexual sin would include sex before marriage, it would include adultery, one night stands, swinging, orgies, pornography. Any sexual activity outside the context of a loving marriage between a man and a woman is sin. It's against God's design. And it's everywhere. Right? It's absolutely everywhere. And I just want to say, we need to be very careful about what kind of media we watch, because it is so easy for us to become, not just tempted, but desensitized. Sullied. It affects us. So watch what you watch. Okay. Now, why is it wrong for there to be any sexual activity outside of a married man and woman together? Well, the main reason is that the God who created us, who has given us the gift of sex, who's designed that, he says it's wrong. All through the Bible. Sex is reserved for marriage, man and woman. Now, another reason where I think we get some help in understanding why, I've found this very helpful myself anyway, see if it helps you, Moses in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, says that when a husband and wife come together in marriage, they become one flesh, which includes physical union, sexual union, but it also includes a deep closeness and vulnerability that's that's beautiful and harmony. It's it's one flesh. And part of what one flesh means is that sexual relations, I mean, think about it, it, it involves just a deep, transparency and openness and vulnerability to, to your husband, to your wife, and, and that deep openness and vulnerability and transparency between two people needs to be protected by a lifelong commitment, one flesh. There's so much openness there. There's so much transparency there. There's so much vulnerability there that if you know that you've both said, till death do us part, I am yours Alone. Wow, that's security, that's power, that's protection, that's freedom, that's God's intention. So the openness and the vulnerability that happens in sexual relations, when it's protected by a lifelong commitment of marriage, that openness and vulnerability flourishes. It's joyful, it's wonderful, it's free. But when it's not protected by a lifelong commitment of marriage, it leaves people broken. It leaves people devastated. It leaves people insecure, harmed, hurt. Now, I especially want you young people to hear this. Young people, listen to this. This is so, so important. The God who created you knows how sex is supposed to function. It was his idea. He thought it up. It's the most amazing thing to think about. And sex is to be enjoyed as a gift. It's a gift to be enjoyed in marriage between a a man and a woman, where it will cause their love and their closeness and their joy to flourish and to grow. It's holy. It's clean. It's beautiful in that setting. So don't fall for Satan's lies. And they are all around. Don't fall for them. They are lies. Sexual sin leaves people fractured, wounded, empty. And unless they're totally the victim, they're facing God's wrath. And sadly, I'm I'm sure that there are many people in this room who've experienced that brokenness and that pain. And our hearts break for you. And we love you. And we are glad you're here. And we want to encourage you that Jesus loves you. If that's part of your story, Jesus will meet you. He is near to the brokenhearted. Comforts those who are crushed in spirit. This is our God. This is our Jesus. He will forgive you. That's... Part of the equation. He will help you. He will heal you. He will comfort you. It's real. He's real. His healing is real. It's not like sticking a band-aid on something, but it is heartfelt and substantial and powerful. Many in this room have experienced that. We want all all of you to experience that more and more. So sexual impurity is... Our sin against God, I mean, you you look at the world, it's all the sexual sin that's out there, that is sin against God. Yes, it is. That's not all that it is. It is sin against God, but it's also God's wrath against sin. It's a revelation of his wrath. The, The sexual sin we see running rampant in our world is a display of God's wrath against sin. It is sin, and it's God's wrath against sin. And I think most of us haven't thought about it that second way enough. But that is another way we need to be looking at it. It's God's wrath against sin. He's displaying for all of humanity to see this is the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that comes when you put something else in the center of your life besides God. When you turn from the creator to the creation, this is the kind of fractured reality, the the pain, the shame, the dishonor that you'll experience. In his mercy, he shows that to us, but it's a revelation of his wrath. So that's one way that Paul mentions here, that God reveals his wrath against sin. It's by giving humanity up to sexual impurity. There's a second way that Paul says God does this. God gave humanity up to homosexuality. Homosexuality is not a new thing. I think most of us know that. It's been around for thousands of years. It was quite common in the Roman culture. Paul's writing this letter to them, maybe why he includes it here especially. And as we talk about homosexuality, I wanted to go to another passage first before I have us read what Paul writes, because there's two things emphasized in what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through This is a very powerful passage. Look at what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. He starts off. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Won't go to heaven. Do not be deceived. There's lots of deception around. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's verbally abusive people, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So it's plain as day in this passage that homosexuality is sin. Can we see that? It's, just, it's right there. Those who go on practicing homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Just like those who practice greed, or those who go on being abusive in their language, or those who are adulterers who continue in that, they also will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these sins practiced, pursued, without repentance, without confession, without turning. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, one truth from this verse is that homosexuality is sin. But look at what Paul says in the next verse, verse 11. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, And such were some of you. (laughs) Don't you love that? Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So the church at Corinth had people in it who used to be greedy, used to practice homosexuality, used to practice sexual immorality, any sexual activity outside of marriage, but they were washed cleansed of that, they were sanctified, transformed, they were justified, fully forgiven through Jesus. That's who they used to be, but now they've been washed, sanctified, justified. So we want to say clearly, with love and humility, homosexuality is sin. Don't be deceived. And we also want to come alongside those of you who Deal with same-sex attraction and point you to the Jesus, the Savior, who can wash you, who can sanctify you, who can justify you, who's washed all of us from our sin, right? Sanctified us, forgiven us, justified us. If you're dealing with same-sex attraction, we love you. We want to come alongside you. We are fellow sinners. We all need God's grace through Christ. Let's walk this road together Jesus will so satisfy and fill your heart that you'll be able to say no, 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 no to same-sex attraction. He'll, he will enable you to live a chaste life on the road to heaven. It'll be war. Like every sin, battle, battling sin, is, it's war. But he will so strengthen you, so satisfy you that you will be able to walk the road. When you stumble, you'll confess and get, he'll help you get back on the road and we'll keep going. Right? Nobody's perfect in this life, right? but it is wrong. It is sin, and you need to decisively turn and surrender to Jesus and call upon him, and he will wash and sanctify and justify. Now, with that in mind, look at what Paul says about this in Romans 1, and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women... Exchanged natural relations between a man and a woman's marriage, that's how sex is supposed to function. The women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, that's how God made things to be. So men gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing <sighs> shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, there are people, I'm sure this is no surprise to you, there are people who say that the Bible does not say homosexuality is wrong. And I wanna give you a couple of ways that they say that and a couple of reasons why I disagree and I hope you would disagree. One way is that they say, Homosexuality can't be wrong because people are born with same sex attraction. And if you're born with same sex desires, it can't be wrong. But I would encourage you to think about that a little bit more. The fact that you're born with a desire doesn't make that desire right. No parent has to teach their child to want to lie to avoid being punished, right? Johnny, here's how you lie. No parent needs to teach their child that. Where does that desire to lie come from? They're born with it. See, we are sinners by nature and by choice. No one needs to teach a child to want to take something that belongs to somebody else. I want that. Mine. Where's that desire come from? Their nature? Their nature. So the fact that someone is born with same-sex desire doesn't make that desire right any more than being born with a desire to lie or to take what somebody else has makes that desire right. Do you see how that works? You have to understand, there's sin. There's the fall, Genesis 3. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. Should we be surprised that there are some desires in us that are sinful? Not at all. That's what it means to have a sin nature. So that's the answer to that. But the good news is, yes, we're born with sinful desires. Jesus can and does free us from those. He sanctifies us. We progressively get more and more free from them. Another way people address that from these verses in Romans 1 is some say that what Paul is talking about is not sexual activity between two consenting adults. What Paul is talking about is um, homosexual activity between an adult man and a, and a boy, where it would be abusive. that's what some say, and they say that's what Paul's condemning here. And tragically, this that is one form of homosexuality that was found in Rome, um, other kinds as well, men with men, that was going on also, but this was an issue, but the language of verses twenty six and twenty seven just doesn't fit that. If you read those verses carefully. Nothing is said about adult men with younger boys. It's men with men. Same word in the Greek. Nothing is said about older women with young girls. It's women with women. So to say that this is about older adults with children and that that's what's wrong is to put something into this text that's not found in the text. Just we need to let the words of Scripture speak. We're talking about men with men, women with women. That's not God's design. So the meaning of these verses in Romans 1 and the meaning of what Paul said in Romans in 1 Corinthians 6 is clear. Homosexuality is sin against God, our maker. Any sexual activity outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman is is sin. And the second way that God reveals his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness is to remove the restraint and to allow humanity to move into homosexuality. It's sin against God, and it's God's wrath against sin. It's a display of God's wrath. Again, think about how this works. We've all known enough from creation... To embrace God in all of his glory and beauty and to love him and to worship him and to trust him and to be so freed by his love and his presence that we love people around us and we, we, we follow his design. We trust him. He's made us. Look at these bodies. Look at this world. We trust him. Every reason to trust the designer. But we've all turned our backs on him. We've all said no to him. That's sin. And one way God reveals his wrath against sin is by... Giving humanity up to homosexuality. To see the dishonor of that, to see the fracturedness of that, the not being part of God's design. It's not not how it's supposed to work. So, here's what we've seen so far. Because of our sin, God has revealed his wrath by giving humanity up to sexual impurity of all kinds. And then Paul specifies, pulls out from that, gives humanity up to homosexuality. But there's a third way that God does it. God gave humanity up to all manner of sin. Verses 28 to 32. Here's what I think Paul's doing in this section. Maybe before you were saved, you were not involved in any sexual impurity, any homosexuality. But Paul wants you to understand that you're still involved here. This still pertains to you. We still need to take God's wrath seriously. Because look at, the, look at the list that Paul gives us, starting in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, it's proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree... That those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Anybody here who's never gossiped, who's never boasted, anybody here who's never deceived someone else or lied, aren't we all in this list? And that's Paul's point. We're all here. We all need to tremble before God's wrath. If we are outside of Christ, we need to tremble at God's wrath. Before we were saved, God's wrath was revealed against all of us by giving us over to sin. See, no one is born saved We're all born sinners by nature, by choice. We knew enough about God to live a life of joy in God. So we're free in him. We we need nothing else. He's our father, loves us, cares for us. We're trusting all of his promises. We overflow with love for others. That's how we should have lived if we would have owned up to what we saw. But God gives all of us up to sin because we've all turned our backs on God. He's removed the restraint sin flows. And so because we've turned from God instead of being full of his joy and his glory and we're flowing with love we're, we're empty and we're bitter and we've got malice and we're angry at each other and and just look at look at how far the gap is between what We could have been living in had we been responding rightly to God and and the the shame and the dishonor and the brokenness that we are seeing in our world around us and that we've all experienced ourselves. God's displaying his wrath. Now, one more, verse 32. Deep down inside, we all knew that people who live that way are going to face Death, eternal death from God. We've all known that. But sin so butchered our thinking. Sin so destroyed our thinking. We not only did those things that we knew were worthy of eternal death, but we applauded each other when each other did them. Just think, think of what humanity could have been if we'd bent the knee before our glorious creator, and let His perfections fill our souls. Think of what humanity could have been. I mean, just just make us weep. We look at the world around us, and of course, there's hope because we know that in the new heavens and the new earth, that's what's going to be happening, right? A new humanity, saved through Christ. So that's coming. That's eternity. So let me encourage you, church, when, when we see the world just plunging headlong into sin, which we see all around us, instead of saying, why, why could they do, how could people do that? I mean, that's not a bad question to ask. It's fair to ask. But one thought we should have is, well, it's because of their sin. That's the answer. Why do they do that? Because their sin. Okay, that, that is the end. There's an answer to that, but that shouldn't be the only thing we think of. Yes, it's because of their sin. That's why this headlong plunge into sin, but also it's because God is revealing his wrath against their sin. God wants to make it very clear. This is what happens when you turn your back on your creator. This is the brokenness that comes when something else moves to the center of your life besides God and Jesus Christ. This is the heartache and the fracturing and the pain that comes when we exchange the glory of God for a lie. That's what happens. God's revealing his wrath to show the wreckage that comes when we've turned our backs on God. So let's pay heed. Let's pay heed. So what does this mean for us? Let me come back to those three benefits I mentioned at the very beginning. We've taken a deep dive into the wrath of God, how it's revealed now, not just how it's going to be, and that's going to be far worse in eternity, but it's horrifying now. Taking a deep dive into God's wrath, what are the benefits? There's three. One, see why you need Christ. See why you need Christ. God's wrath against sin is real. We've all sinned against him. The only solution is Jesus Christ. It's the only solution. All mad-made religions tell us you've got to try to be good enough to have your good outweigh your bad. It's a lie. God sent Jesus, and Jesus was punished on the cross to pay in full for all the sins of everyone who trusts him. The only solution is Jesus Christ, and there is a solution, Jesus Christ. So see how much you need him. Turn from your sin. Say, help, help me. I want to trust you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want to walk with you. I want the joy of knowing you. I want to turn back to my God. Trust him right now. Trust him. That's the first benefit. See why you need Christ. Second, strengthen your trust in Christ. This is so serious. We're saved by trusting Christ, not by going to church not by being baptized, not by trying to be good. The only way to be saved is to trust Jesus Christ. That connects you with him. That's the only connection point is faith in Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, are you trusting Jesus Christ? In your heart, are you trusting him? Not do you believe certain doctrines. You can believe doctrines and not trust Christ. I did that for quite a few years. Are you trusting Him? Are you trusting Him as your Savior? I'm a sinner in need of grace. I have no hope apart from you. Save me. Are you trusting Him as your Savior? Are you trusting Him as your Lord? Are you holding on to any willful sin in your life? If so, you are not trusting Him as your Lord. Turn from trusting that area of willful sin and trust Christ. He will help you. Are you trusting him as your Savior? Are you trusting him as your Lord? Are you trusting him as your heart treasure? He is. He is the joy, the love, the fullness you've been looking for all your life. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. him. Three Tell others about Christ. God's wrath is real. You have the solution in your heart, in your mouth, in your words. God can use your stumbling, mixed up words, trying to tell somebody about Jesus. He can use your words by His power to transform that person, melt their hard heart, give them faith, save them. Just love them and try to explain to them and watch what God does. But are you sharing the gospel with people? See God's wrath. Let it break your heart and let it move you to sow seed, share the gospel, love the lost. That's one of the reasons God brought you here. So see why you need Christ Strengthen your trust in Christ and tell others about Christ. Let's stand. Thank you for this passage of scripture, for the truth, clarity. It just puts things into stark focus for us eternity, heaven, hell, faith, lost people around us. Oh, Lord, we get so dull. Our vision gets so out of focus. Lord, use this passage to snap things back into focus so we see and we come to Christ. We trust Christ and we share the good news. In Jesus' name, amen.